Club Hell, thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row. My name is Dan Gorman, and as always, I'm here with... Carl O. Hey, Carl O. What up? If you've never listened to Notes from the Back Row, this is the podcast for back-row.com. And what it is is a podcast where every episode you get something new. It's like a magazine subscription. You get different uh, people doing different types of episodes. Carlo and I are doing, as you know, Hoser Horror. Um, Carlo and Jenna did one recently called Post Anime Club. Do uh, do you want to mention that one real quick, Carlo? Yeah, uh, me and Jenna used to be weeps, and now we're watching (laughs) Japanese movies, and that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, making up for years of ignoring Japanese cinema. A little, yeah, Yeah. going back to the classics. Uh, We did some, like, 50s, 60s movies now, but we might do, like, more recent stuff as well, like big names. Sweet. Yeah, so every episode you get something new. Um, If you go to back-row.com, you'll find the podcasts as well as written articles, stuff like Veronica doing an article about inherent dysfunction in families uh, and other double features. And so that's what you'll find at back-row.com. You can email us at backrowcineblog at gmail.com. And you can find us on all of the social medias at backrowcineblog. Um, But as always, as I mentioned, Carlo and I are doing a dive into the horror films of Canada, um, usually double features. Uh, We do have an episode in the future that I did. We do one that had more than two. No, just two, just two first so far, two fours. (laughs) So as you know, Carlo and I, we are here. We're doing Hoser Horror. We are recording episodes where we watch two or more maybe in the future horror films from Canada sometimes they will be related sometimes they'll be from the same genre sometimes they will be unrelated and sometimes they will only be related because they have the word American in the title (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, which is today's episode yeah (laughs) that's like the whole gimmick of this uh American movies yeah um though even though they're Canadian (laughs) I guess (laughs) yeah Americana Canadian style yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this episode, we are talking about American Nightmare and Red-Blooded American Girl. Um, so let's just dive right into it. We're going to start with Red-Blooded American Girl from 1990, directed by David Blythe. I'm a red-blooded American girl. I'm interested. I'm here to offer you a job. Blood is a very profitable business. Vampirism exists. I'm a blood user. We're insane. No, I'm infected. Thirsty. Blood I'm one of you now. 
She's beautiful, she's powerful, and she's hungry. A young woman is transformed into a vampire by a virus, and that is all the synopsis that existed on Letterboxd. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I never heard, heard of this movie. Like, yeah. I, did, I didn't even, like, look anything up because there was barely anything aside from, like, a synopsis, and then it got into it, and I'm like, wait a minute, is this a vampire movie? Yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, the director, David Blythe, is... Uh, a director who did a movie called Death Warmed Up, and I believe that was a, a notable mm. film because the the poster is one that I recognize when I when I checked it out on Letterboxd. And then the writer Alan Moyle is the guy who wrote and directed Pump Up the Volume and a number oh, yeah. of other very notable movies. So it's interesting that, um, especially even just from the angle of Alan Moyle, that that nobody talks about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but have you, this have, this have you have you seen Death Warmed Up? No, but I know that I've read about it. Apparently, it's an Australian slash New Zealand movie. So David yes. Blythe isn't Canadian. Then, He's I'm not assuming. Canadian. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I would have to check to see if Alan Moyle was Canadian or not. I can't be uh, sure. He is. Okay. Uh, I did look that up. Okay. Uh, Alan Moyle. I, I think he's from Quebec, actually. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Um. So red-blooded American girl fits in my mind into this like so it's from 1990 but it fits into this thing that you see over and over in the 90s where people started trying to do the vampire movie from different angles like Abel Ferreira mm. did one called The Addiction where it was you know a, a take on vampires as a drug addict would would see it and this takes the vampire formula and looks at it as if it was a kind of virus that is passed around and it could be from a bite, it could be from eating infected meat, it could be uh, from blood transfusions, but the, the kind of gimmick of the movie is instead of the vampires having sharp teeth and biting your neck, they like they'll get little pieces of glass or scissors and stuff and like yeah. slit your neck and then drink it. <laughs> yeah, like Kim Coates' character, he just carries on like a little tiny scissor yeah. <laughs> just little cute tiny scissors <laughs> which just made me laugh uh, yeah i was like is this kind of like paying homage to cobra by <laughs> you know using scissors where every other normal yeah. person would Pizza. just use a knife <laughs> you know yeah yeah it has that like the whole movie has that kind of like high concept quirkiness like they call mm. themselves blood users they're not vampires they're blood users oh i don't even remember that yeah <laughs> but yeah the, the entire angle is like you know blood is the ultimate drug then they become vampires i guess but it's like chemical vampires like there's mm -hmm. no no like vampire lore to it at all no like, none of that dracula shit um <laughs> which was pretty entertaining like i don't necessarily go for like the old uh, you know, Transylvanian Dracula mm. castle stuff necessarily. I, I don't mind it, but it's not my favorite. And I like these kind of takes on like uh, classical tropes, uh, especially like going back to old monster movies, but like subverting it completely and making it very, I, I want to say 90s because this came out, out in 1990. But again, a movie from 1990 was concocted in the late 80s. So yeah, it's just 80s as fuck. Totally. And and yeah, I, f I do find it interesting that the vampire movie is the one that seems to get over and over like re sort of adapted mm. for the modern. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are like, I mean, there's been some modern takes on Frankenstein, but has there been, 
you know, I guess there's like Frankenhooker in the, in nineteen ninety. Frankenhooker and yeah, basically Edward Scissorhands too. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Mm. So I guess there are a lot of different monster movies where that happened, but this is Canada's stab at it. <laughs> so it's shot exactly. in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, it's shot in Toronto. A couple of uh, Canadian actors, like Kim Coates, is from Saskatchewan, apparently. Yeah. And, and Christopher Plummer is a Toronto totally. guy. Christopher Plummer. Um, and, and the whole movie kind of has, I, I kind of likened it to be almost like offshoot Cronenbergian. Because mm. it has that, like, the shady, you know, Canadian looking buildings that are like, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, it has that, like, feel to it it has that yeah now that you mentioned like for the longest time watching this movie i was like this doesn't feel very canadian necessarily but yeah that kind of stuff and yeah we saw that in visiting hours as well like that Mm, kind of the 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 hospitals and the buildings and the futuristic kind of like look kind of clinical clinical uh, vibe yes totally that's the way to put it um (laughs) so it has a little bit of that um but it also kind of like to me at least it felt like one of those you know up all night with Rhonda Shear kind of movies <laughs> maybe it's because like Heather Thomas is like to me she was the lead in this movie like it doesn't start off that way but it definitely uh, transitions into that and that just made it kind of feel like this lost Linnea quickly kind of movie because yeah. it's like kind of trashy kind of uh a little bit racy, a little bit blue, but just a little bit. And then you've got Heather Thomas instead of Linnea Quigley. Um, Heather Thomas was in Fred Olin Ray's Cyclone, which yes. is my favorite Fred Olin Ray movie, which I know <laughs> I know you think that movie is garbage. And you're right. You're, you're, I don't debate that, but I, I loved her in that. And she was also great in this. So Yeah, I need to revisit Cyclone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you need to, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> G- give it another shot for me, your yeah. pal. <laughs> yeah, and and Andrew Stevens played the lead plays the lead here and the the gist of the plot how it opens is he's contacted by Christopher Plummer, who is president of a company called LifeReach, and he offers him a job uh, doing what he says is research uh life researching life extension drugs for mm. AIDS patients. Um, and when he gets there, he finds out um, it's in one of those kind of uh, Cronenbergian looking places that I mentioned. And uh, he gets shown around and eventually meets Paula, who is played by Heather Thomas. And she ends up stumbling into a room where a girl is tied to the bed screaming. And she's like, hey, Andrew Stevens, this place seems fucked up. We got to get out of here. And that kind of uh, incites them to go investigate wherein Paula is bitten by another woman. Um, or by that woman that she they found tied up, and so it then it becomes about her figuring out that she's turning into something else, and the Andrew Stevens character trying to figure out what's going on. The 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 kind of inciting plot leading to a scene where Paula realizes that when she cuts herself, uh, that she's very interested in her own blood, which which brings her to like one of the best scenes in the movie where she decides to dance around with a knife. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of really great dance scenes with her. <laughs> like at the very first, like within the first 15 minutes, I think the, what's his name? The character, Andrew Stevens' character, he, go, he goes to Paula's, Paula's house. Yeah, oh, Owen wow. Augustus. <laughs> For the longest time, I thought his, his last name was Bourbon, <laughs> but apparently, <laughs> apparently it's just Urban. Owen Augustus Urban the <laughs> third. What the fuck kind of name is that? Like, it, it, It's like 
he came up with like an artist name for himself because he's like an experimental drug maker or something. <laughs> yeah, he, the, the the movie says something about him like creating ecstasy or yeah, like he, yeah. he's, he's taking all these drugs and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like putting whatever he makes in his lab up his nose and see yeah. where, where the night takes him. <laughs> so weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's like a, a scene like at the very beginning where he visits Paula's house and she's just like, it feels like morning. She's in her like yoga pants, just dancing in the kitchen, uh, making breakfast, I guess, uh, <laughs> with this like cheesy, uh, very extremely 80s. Uh, song playing over it and there, there's a bunch of moments in the mo- in this movie where the music just goes like straight up from like Ferris Bueller oh yeah kind of shit to like Beverly Hills Cop and then back to some sexy sax man public domain nonsense you know yeah I freaking love that <laughs> there's some real tonal whiplash to this movie oh, yeah, where yeah, totally. you know it, it's it is one of those movies where there's a lot of running around from location to location, but at the same time, there is also a lot of really entertaining stuff happening. <laughs> mm, true. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a very two-sided movie. Um, like, it, it's a hard movie to even recommend to someone because it definitely have mo- has moments where you're like, this is crap. But then there's also moments that are just very, very entertaining <laughs> to me. But again, if you don't, love like 80s kind of shit uh, i'd say don't bother with this (laughs) maybe because that's yeah that's a big part of it it's very cheesy definitely yeah but if you do like if you are the kind of person who will sit through a movie that is let's say 40 percent boring Hmm. to hear things like a guy who's making a smoothie and he's adding all the ingredients and then he says and molasses for the iron penis (laughs) and i mean that makes you laugh you'll at least find enough here that's that's why we're doing it that's why we're watching movies for moments like that (laughs) yeah he's like oh banana for potassium yeah and then yogurt for a little bacteria action yeah which in itself is kind of like an odd line but then he finishes with molasses for the iron penis (laughs) and you're just like this is a great start to this movie so funny (laughs) what a weird thing to say to yourself yeah jesus like was that in the script really (laughs) or if you came up with that on the spot you're a freaking genius that's it's gotta be (laughs) yeah when that scene happened i was like hey this is like your trope thing that you like is making like a disgusting yeah. shake but it's it's not that outrageous the shake is it is a bit like hey you put way too much stuff in that mm, but yeah. yeah i i really like it in movies when people make disgusting ones like in stone cold brian bosworth does one that's like it's got beer and like a snickers <laughs> bar yeah and <laughs> like a hamster in there yeah and then he just feeds it to his dog <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the, so the plot basically brings us to um, the reveal that uh, Christopher Plummer was out uh, and about in the world, and he found this tropical virus, I think, in Africa. Um, and so then he was like, oh, I'll experiment on myself with this. And, hmm. and it, it turned out that the virus makes you want blood. Uh, he calls himself a blood user, and... Um, yeah, it, it there there's something also about 
Um, you might do too much blood and and die if you do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do too much blood. It's it's not good for you. Yeah, and eventually, I guess it comes to be revealed that life reach isn't actually doing any research into AIDS. It's just fig- figuring out like how do we cure this this red blooded American virus. Yeah, is it? Uh, I, I felt like the movie was just. I was barely paying attention to like the nitty gritty of the plot, like mm. this, the stuff you just explained. I'm like, really? Was that what's that going on in this movie? <laughs> like I was just like, kind of coasting on the vibe of like silliness. Yeah. But, oh, and let me tell you, I had to go to Canucksploitation.com and read their review to remember all of that <laughs> about. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, because it's been like a couple of weeks and I, since I saw it, so yeah, I'm pretty hazy on the details as well. <laughs> like I, I vaguely remember the ending, which, uh, I, well, I don't know if I can call it spoiling, but go uh, for it. Well, I feel like because barely anyone has seen this movie like mm-hmm. and anyone who is interested in seeing it it will be kind of a spoiler to them but then it's not like a big moment or anything that ruins the movie but yeah. i think like at the end the whole experiment thing was about him inventing a drug that makes you super powerful i'm not sure if that was even it because they were like getting into it like um like end of the movie explanation stuff and i'm like Wait a minute, what? I, I think I kind of zoned out for a little because um, I'm, I'm not tying shit together at all. Like, what about the vampire shit yeah. then? What, what, why is that happening? He, I, they do, I do remember at the end of the movie, they do that thing. I think they do it at the end of Near Dark as well, where it's like, mm. I'll do a blood transfusion and then you won't be a vampire anymore. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff does happen there. But I'm not sure if, if the end of the movie was like, she's, she's now not a red-blooded american vampire virus girl and he is i think maybe at the end i can't remember yeah there was this moment where he was like seemingly a vampire or not i i don't remember like the, yeah honestly the ending it's kind of a fart like i don't even remember much of it but it felt like the kind of ending where everyone just leaves the room with us saying anything or like acknowledging the fart you know it was kind of whatever (laughs) yeah it's yeah like we said earlier it's very all over the place but it is one of those movies where there's enough kind of outrageous moments Mm. and just just it is kind of fun to see the canadian take on trying to update the vampire thing it like it's it's worth a watch for people who like really weird shit but you're right like the average person is going to watch this and be like, it's disjointed, it sucks. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're going to break it down, please, please don't break shitty movies down. <laughs> you know, uh, people like us who don't, like, we're pretty open-minded to any kind of movie, uh, especially shitty ones. And, yeah. Like, I prefer to acknowledge the things that I liked than the things that don't add up at all, which are a bunch uh, in this movie. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and also just you know Heather Thomas's performance in this, it's it's great. I'm like, why wasn't she in more movies? Uh, you know, just like making uh, crazy faces and dancing in her yoga pants and like going to town like some kind of Lady Terminator and fucking everyone shit up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just for that and the musics. Yeah, if you like. Uh, cheesy 80s music sure go for totally. it totally you know um 
a lot of like uh, little montages like when I think there's a scene where Heather Thompson's cells are kind of like transforming her into this chemical vampire or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck these guys are or what they call themselves blood users but, yeah uh, yeah and there's some good music on to that as well totally and then at one point Heather Thomas says no way Jose and I'm like was that a Simpsons reference or not I don't know were people just saying no way Jose in the 90s it must be like it must be where the Simpsons writers got it like just it was in the zeitgeistism yeah very zeitgeisty Mm. I think there's Uh, also a scene in the movie where someone says like you weak pathetic fool I'm like wait a minute this is no Mortal Kombat or (laughs) I don't know (laughs) just had you all over the map on the pop culture yeah, for me, I mean, Mortal Kombat Simpsons, there's there like two it. two boxes checked, and yeah. I don't really need more than that. <laughs> and, yeah. and another thing is one of my favorite things in stupid movies, when someone says the title of the movie. Yes. Which happens in this movie. <laughs> exactly. Heather Thomas says it, right? Yeah, she says it. I don't remember the context, but it doesn't matter. It's probably just... Yeah. It, it just kind of makes you think, like, what came first? The, yeah. the title drop or... The title. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is. Um, David Blythe did make a red blooded American girl too, but as far as I can tell, it has nothing to do with vampires. Yeah. No. Or exactly. blood or anything. Yeah. Apparently, it's called Red Blooded American Girl too, but it's also called like just Hot Blooded. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's apparently totally unrelated. Same director, but it came out like almost ten years later. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's like anyone coming back from the last movie as it's, it stars Carrie Wurr mm-hmm. and the posters like just her hanging from a truck or something. Yeah. Like it's uh it, it's very <laughs> hard to see and like her boob is about to fall out. Yeah. It's <laughs> one of those how do, how can we get this person positioned in such a way? <laughs> that, yeah, that we still see like some skin, you know. Yeah. But also <laughs> so it makes stupid. it look like the movie is exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got cars going fast and boobies so <laughs> yeah those boxes are checked as well i guess <laughs> you know not, yeah. not, for, not for me necessarily but <laughs> for the target audience i'm sure <laughs> yeah so um red-blooded american girl 1990 to to circle back on the canadiana aspect of it shot in toronto but it is one of those movies that doesn't doesn't say it's you know there's no real uh here we are in canada no no not at all yeah um that's that's also a kind of a reason why we did this episode because there's some Canadian movies who don't really want to be openly yeah. openly Canadian. Totally. And so it's kind of funny, like these movies, like okay, technically Canada is North America, but are there like Canadian people who call themselves American? No. That's or even <laughs> even calling yourself North Americans kind of very, I don't know. You'd call yourself a Canadian first, wouldn't you? Absolutely. So that's kind of... And and there's not... Like, nobody hears the word American and then just assumes North American. Yeah, exactly. That's just weird. Um, Yeah. That's the way I thought it was as well, so... And nobody hears Canada and thinks, well... Well, that's a North American country, so it's a part (laughs) of America. Like, fuck off. (laughs) Well, takes all kinds, you know. Yes. So, from Red Hot... Red-Blooded American Girl, uh, to another American film. This is called American Nightmare from 1983. Isabel walked out of here nearly a year ago and you didn't even try to stop her? I tried, but she wouldn't be stopped. Your sister is, 
just a little. My sister was just a confused little girl. She was 16. There was nothing I could do. And you don't care where she's living or what she's doing? I got reports from time to time. Did your reports tell you that she's living in a slum? Surrounded by degenerates? Isabel's life is her own business, as yours is, if I remember your words correctly, when you stormed out of here two years ago. I accept no responsibility for either. You are one cold-blooded son of You're a bitch! You're staying long, Eric. I had to kill her too, Eric. We are the ones that can change the world, not them. We count. We matter. I can't let you ruin that. <laughs> Every year, girls move to the city determined to make their dreams come true or die trying. A man investigates the disappearance of his sister with the help of her roommate. He uncovers a trail of prostitution, incest, blackmail, and murder. Um, This is directed by Don McBreerty, starring Lawrence Day, Michael Ironside, Alexandra Paul, and more. Um... American Nightmare was made for about $200,000. It's shot in Toronto. Um, it sat on the shelves for a while before being released in 83. I believe it was shot in 80 or 81. Um, and it is executive produced by Paul Lynch, a name that has come up before. Um, and it is written by John Shepard, who would go on to write Paul Lynch's films Flying and Bullies, which we talked about previously on the episode oh, on the show did not know that yeah and apparently that writer john shepherd wrote the movie in 24 hours <laughs> i do believe that <laughs> i do believe that as well <laughs> yeah. yeah and and i guess paul lynch was gonna direct this movie um mm. but by the time it came to make the movie he wasn't able to fit it into his schedule oh okay so this was made in like 80 81 he was well, I want to say he was working on Prom Night, but I can't, Probably, Im- yeah. I can't imagine that took up all of his time mm-hmm. um, necessarily, depending yeah. on when it was shot. But, you know, I can imagine him having the time to do two movies in one year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, another notable thing about this movie is that the director, Don McBrady, he was a filmmaker in the National Film Board, the NFB, and he went on to win an Oscar for a short film called Boys and Girls which was adapted from an Alice Munro story, which is a story that won the Nobel Prize. So uh, Alice Munro is the Canadian winner of the Nobel Prize. And we'll get to a little bit of that with this film, I think, as we talk about it. But I think one of the interesting things between these two movies is that they're both movies that sort of play with a genre hmm. um, that existed before but in a different way and so you see a lot of reviews of American Nightmare talk about how it's a Giallo-esque film yeah definitely has that Giallo vibe it doesn't feel like a, you know like a more American slashery you know kind of deal uh, hmm. it just like to me like I'm not the huge Jalo fan yeah I don't hate them don't love them uh, they're like generally a bit too sleazy and too european for me in vibe <laughs> even though i'm from europe but i don't really go for that vibe yeah uh, and it's often just like about some guy who wasn't hugged enough so now he hates all women <laughs> yeah which is also something i'm like Ugh, yeah you know whatever <laughs> i know what you mean i really like uh giallos when they're great <laughs> <laughs> well you know ideally yeah yeah <laughs> but like it's what? definitely 
it's not a genre that I I have seen every. You know, mm. I, I've gone through phases where I want to watch more and more of them, but I haven't done that thing where I went. I just got to see every single one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Same for me. Totally. Like I've seen some some of the major ones, but uh, yeah, um, and even like classics like Lucha Filch's New York Ripper and that kind of stuff. Like I've seen it, but. I didn't necessarily love it, but I've seen yeah. it. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Jalo that I really liked. Um, actually, you know, uh, have you seen the John Carpenter movie, Eyes of Laura Mars? Yeah. That, that well, you know, it's not a Jalo, but it's kind of Jalo-ish. That's one of those that like took the, the style and decided mm. to make, make a North American version exactly. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I do like that movie. That movie rules. It, it is great has a great yeah. cast and great mystery and like some couple of years. like the tension's just really good in that movie yeah um but yeah that's that's an example of a giallo <laughs> movie that i like even though uh giallo like by definition is italian yeah you know <laughs> but yeah yeah and and i do feel like american nightmare gets that over and over again in the reviews that you read of it even mm. though the the real really the only thing is um it has a, a, a killer who is wearing latex gloves and killing mm. women. And so, like, there is, a, like, a kind of a core concept from Giallo. But then when you look at the movie as a whole, it's not it's not a lot. You know, it does have that kind of sleazy vibe. It does have that kind of who is it that's doing the killing vibe. So there's elements of it. But I wouldn't say just watching it that it felt like that. It, it almost feels more like a sleazy American exploitation movie that happens yeah. to have some gloved killer uh, stuff in it. That's true. That's true. Definitely yeah. has a bit of both of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the plot of it, as I mentioned, is about a guy who gets a call from his sister saying that she needs help. And when he arrives to find her, um, he finds his father is very sort of uh, uninterested in what's going on. You find out a little bit about how him and his sister are estranged from their father and uh, he ends up investigating where his sister is and he finds out that she was a stripper. And so he kind of teams up with her, uh, stripper roommate to figure out what's going on. And then you also have a bunch of stuff in the subplot about, um, the dad and how he's doing this, um, like children, um, philanthropy thing where he's, you know, getting money for children that are in need and stuff. And so he's kind of like focused on that, even though he's ignoring his children and yeah it just becomes it becomes a movie that gets referenced to hardcore a lot by paul schrader because <laughs> it's very like oh somebody in my family has been you know yeah. in has been abducted into this sort of cd world and i have to go in and figure out yeah 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 i told you this before this movie is like basically hardcore if paul if uh, not paul schrader uh, george c scott's character just got distracted constantly yeah. by like strippers and oh my god nudity and you know <laughs> oh my god this so <laughs> I um I I found this movie intriguing. Um I found it's a movie that I I was more interested in reading about and thinking about than I was like when I was watching it. I found it like you said like so this movie takes place partially in a strip club. Hmm. Um a lot of uh, from what I read a lot of the strippers were from the Toronto area in the IMDb trivia and um is the film debut of Alexandra Paul who went on to Baywatch Melrose Place she was in Christine 8 million ways to die so went on to a lot of big things but the movie is constantly enamored with the scenes of stripping and i feel like to some degree there's a point but mm. to the 
to some de- to the degree in which the point is being made, um, it gets made like too many times. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you know, I get it. It's an exploitation movie. Um, directors were kind of like uh, shoehorned in that way. Yeah, like, you've got to put some sleazy stuff in for the people who who come out to watch a sleazy movie, but. If you're like trying to have a point in this movie and maybe try to push back a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because um, reading the Canuxploitation.com review was interesting because they really go into the thematic material and how the, the gender politics of the movie play out and how the movie is, you know, like dealing with the male gaze. And mm. to some degree, I'm like, some of those scenes, absolutely, they are about these really gross men in that club and the club is so uh, sleazy and depressing and so there is a juxtaposition of like this sadness of these dudes and the like fake eroticism you know of that like dreary strip club but that point when you see one of those scenes you're like okay I totally get the cross cutting that's going on here but the movie just constantly comes back to that point over and over again (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the way they show it as well and, and visual, visualize everything, it becomes pretty obvious. Like, okay, this is a dreary place and these yeah. people are pretty, like, uh, down on their luck or yeah. whatever. And you don't want to be with these people or be these people or whatever. But it, it really gets hammered home a bit too hard. And it becomes kind of like a, a not very pleasant experience. Um yeah, which absolutely. like I try to go for entertainment more than <laughs> this kind of stuff, really. Um, yeah, like I'll, I'll take a goofy movie. Maybe it's just like the the comedy lover <laughs> inside <laughs> me. Like I grew up watching ninety nine percent comedy movies, and mm-hmm. now I watch all kind of stuff. But the things I react to the most are the things that are you know a little bit goofy, a little bit stupid. <laughs> and there's none of that in this movie. This movie's just yeah dreary and a little depressing and just nasty (laughs) yeah and i do think like i said before the director went on to win an an oscar doing a movie about like genre uh gender but Hmm. i i do find that it yeah the exploitative elements of it get in the way and in at a certain point because there is a scene later where the character eric who is the guy looking for his sister and the woman that he's investigating uh this with laura staley Hmm she has to do a striptease and he's like there while it's happening mm-hmm. and it, it has this very interesting thing going on where she's like has to sort of just become somebody else to do this like this striptease and then he is very uncomfortable yeah. at like how to take this and it ultimately ends up leading to them having like a relationship but there's like an interesting thing going on there but like it doesn't land because you've mm-hmm. already seen 10 scenes of people stripping <laughs> You're yeah just like, exactly give it a rest you're just kind of get numbed to yeah. the, the, the parts that are supposed to have an impact. It's like, whatever, um, you know, yeah. how, do, how does this strip scene differ from the previous one or the next one or the one after that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, feel, it feels like that classic exploitation, like got to pad this movie. Yeah, out. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it probably would have been a pretty good like short movie, but yeah, at, at like a feature length, it's it's pretty rough. Uh, yeah, I I did think that the characterization saved it a bit for me. I found mm-hmm. that the movie, as dreary and sleazy as it is, I found that there was a 
a little bit of warmth with the characters. I found that like spending time with them mm. made the scenes where people were going to get murdered to be more suspenseful. There's a couple characters that die where I, I kind of didn't want them to die. Mm. Um, and there's a couple scenes where people were being stalked and, you know, because I felt like the movie was fond of them mm. and, and, and to some degree, not super judgmental. I, I found some of those scenes in like the, the the backstage of the strip joint where yeah. they're just kind of hanging out. I found some of those scenes very like effective in in how they were portraying those people. And so yeah, I felt like there's something here and elements of the movie I enjoyed, but yeah, mm. other elements were just too too repetitive or too exploitative. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely like the repetitive nature that was kind of like making me zone out and at this yeah. po- at this point barely remember the movie. Even. <laughs> Yeah, like there's one scene where one of the characters is running away from the gloved killer and she's hiding behind these like television sets in an alley. And Mm. it's not suspenseful because of the craft of the film, because I mean, also it's a VHS that I was watching. So Mm -hmm. maybe the craft of the movie is better than I can tell from the print, but it's pretty like inept of a kind of movie. It's very just sort of point and shoot kind of movie, but I was suspenseful because I didn't want them to die. So I felt like that was a little effective. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was, there's kind of like a flamboyant gay guy who's a neighbor and he, he often dresses up as a woman. And I'm not sure if like, if that, if that's a trans character or if that's like a cross dressing character, but the movie is very, um, warm towards that character. That's true. Yeah. There's, one scene where somebody is very mean to him and uses some pretty, you know, awful mm-hmm. language, but I feel like the movie itself really paints like a nice picture of that character. And when ultimately they came to be in the sights of the killer, I was like, oh shit, like really upset that that was going to happen. Yeah. Which yeah, I thought yeah. was interesting for a movie from 81. Usually well, they're always just like a punchline. Yeah, but I feel like in exploitation cinema more than like mainstream cinema, you would have like these kind of exceptions where are painted in not necessarily a bad picture. Um, Whereas in mainstream cinema, it was definitely like, I don't remember a lot of cases where that wasn't the case. Um, Yeah, it'd be like a, like (laughs) I watched uh, Crocodile Dundee recently Mm. and there's like a scene where he outs somebody as trans as yeah, like yeah, a punchline yeah, yeah, yeah. to a joke and everybody screams at them to get out of the bar and it's this like hilarious joke and i was like that's a horrifying is. crime <laughs> do you remember the end of uh american nightmare yeah it's <laughs> i kind of do because I, I i wrote it down it isn't this like you know kind of a trope where the bad guy f- falls off a roof <laughs> yeah yeah the bad guy does fall off a roof yeah yeah like that's right just, at the end of the movie that's such a movie ending like yeah. and the bad guy fell off the roof <laughs> off the roof <laughs> yeah um yeah it turns out that the bad guy is uh, he he works for their their father yeah he works for their father yeah. and i do it remember has to that do with like a, a a guy who's really upset it has something to do with the dad um was like molesting the daughter or something and that's why the oh, daughter left yeah, yeah. and what? i feel like the the guy who's doing the killing it has one of those like you're all all you like people who are oversexed and like over you know you're, you're all disgusting and i have yeah, to come prude, take basically. you out or whatever yeah has one of those kind of endings yeah i don't really really remember like his motivation but i do remember the stuff like uh like i think the main character finding like a video of, of, yes. of his dad uh, molesting he makes his the dad sister, watch it. basically. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
So pretty rough stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. rough stuff, McGruff. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think like when we when we did the movie Bullies, mm. I tried to say like there will be a viewer of exploitation cinema that will watch this movie and say like that this mo- this is enough. Like just the the seediness of it and the exploitationiness of it is enough for them because that's what they're here for, mm. and that's fine. I just wanted the movie to be a bit more uh, concise about what it was trying to say because like you like we said the that review on canuxploitation.com is very interesting mm-hmm. the director went on to very you know higher minded things and I do think that this movie is an exploitation movie that is trying to get at something but yeah. I just don't think it's all there no exactly and also like I also read that review on Conexploitation um, and like the entire angle that it's kind of it's called American Nightmare because it's kind of like a commentary about America yeah. and the state of America. So that's the kind of like, if that's the case and you call your movie American whatever, I can get kind of behind that. Uh, yeah. It's not like saying we're Canadian. No, this movie is, a, uh, we're American. It's saying this is about America. It's an American yeah. nightmare. And it's set in an American town but of which I'm not sure if they mention in the movie. I just think it's supposed to be America. Um, it's Toronto, but it's supposed to be America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely found Toronto, but I don't remember anyone like dropping a name, no. like a place name. Um, I think the Exploitation review says, makes an assumption that it's supposed to be Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of very interesting footage of Toronto in this movie. So if you mm. are the kind of person that just wants to see what Toronto looked like back in the very early 80s um yeah there's some really kind of grindhousey look at like what young street used to look like and lots of like really cool footage of that yeah i believe they go by uh the rio which was a movie theater on young street in Mm. this movie yeah there's a lot of just really grimy looking footage of uh (laughs) of toronto from this era in the winter which which is enough i feel like for me to say that I, i would love to see something like this get a release because mm-hmm. i think it would be interesting to see like a commentary or like you know an analysis yeah. of this and and to be able to see that footage mm-hmm. in in a higher def would be cool but yeah the movie itself is just so so yeah uh so the version i watched had a bunch of extras as well oh really um, yeah but they weren't too great the extras like there's a really long interview with paul lynch uh, oh, yeah as one of the extras but he barely talks about this movie Oh. Like it's it's more it's more like an interview about Paul Lynch as a creator, you know. Like they yeah. get into like his history and every one of his movies, and this movie's like kind of like a footnote. Uh, yeah. So didn't really learn anything there, sadly. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> is Don McBrearty? I I'm looking on here. It doesn't look like he has passed away. He seems to be still alive. That'd be mm. cool to get you know a commentary from him or discussion about this or maybe yeah. he doesn't want to talk about it i don't know yeah maybe <laughs> i don't know he, um, he directed a lot of road to avon lee which is a very uh, famous canadian television show so he, he like went on to do you know some pretty big bigger stuff in canada mm. yeah is he still active or not really uh he did a hallmark movie in 2016 Oh, and he also did Christmas in Love in 2018, and Pride, <laughs> Prejudice and Mistletoe in 2018, Ooh. and Magical Christmas Ornaments in 2017. The and Christmas Hallmark movie uh, <laughs> machine is, it sucks in so many people. Yeah, Jesus. Like, if you Which, look at... Which, like, 
more power to you like if if you want to like go make a really low budget christmas movie and get paid for it fucking Mm. go for it (laughs) and he also did a movie called ghost cat with ellen page and yes 2003 (laughs) oh my god i've heard of that (laughs) yeah have you (laughs) yeah i've seen the cover it's one of those movies you just know because the cover has a ridiculous name (laughs) yeah (laughs) someone calls it on larry box the pinnacle of cinema the pinnacle of cinema yeah, so I guess, <laughs> I guess you gotta see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ghost Whoa. Cat. Yeah, I love the, there's a really good poster for Ghost Cat on IMDb with a quote that Ellen Page shines as a lead in this suspenseful supernatural drama. I bet Ellen Page isn't even in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one She's of- <laughs> second build, I bet you she oh, is. Oh, yeah, she is. Probably yeah. like... Uh, the daughter character well yeah. sometimes that happens though like I, I think there's like a Sandra Bullock movie on Letterboxd where she's like maybe is it maybe even an Albert Pune movie where yeah. she, she was in like for a minute but she's on the cover on the cover <laughs> yeah that, that sort of rings a bell but that's funny I guess that didn't happen here then yeah so we mentioned we talked about the the Canadiana aspect of this film so I guess all that's left to talk about is you know, what are either of these films essential for the Canadian uh, canon? Um, yeah, I don't think either of them is necessarily essential viewing. No, um, for different reasons. So they're not required viewing, but I think they they might be interesting to put under like see also American Nightmare and Red mm. Wind. <laughs> yeah, because like I do think American Nightmare it's never going to stand up to something like Death Weekend. But for the per- the kind of person that wants to see that sort of sleazy thing, there might be something here for you. But yeah, it's definitely not not going to be something that I would mark as an essential Canadian film. Yeah, I think again, like uh, for example, last episode we covered like um, backwoods movies. If that's your yeah. thing, watch the Canadian backwoods horror movies. Yeah. Like watch Bully, sure. If that's your thing, but if you're like someone who doesn't necessarily go for that, and in this case, if you don't necessarily go for like a sleazy exploitation-y kind of movie then yeah definitely no need to bother with american nightmare i would say but yeah if, if you can go for that then you will probably like it more than i did yeah and, and the same with red blood american girl if you like a cheesy late 80s early 90s kind of thing um yeah go for it yeah absolutely o- otherwise don't <laughs> you know <laughs> otherwise don't yeah, yeah. no I, I absolutely agree um yeah they're they're both movies that are are wildly uneven but mm. have something about them that makes them intriguing so as like further you know further viewing down the road of your canadian movie experience they might be ones to check in with worth so otherwise this has been notes from the back row backdashrow.com is where you can find all of that uh, back row cine blog on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those. You can find us there. Um, Carlo, where can we find you on the internet? Carlo goes boom, usual places. Letterboxed? Letterboxed, Twitter, Twitter probably Instagram, even though I barely use that. Yeah. Uh, just you can find me uh, on Twitter and on Letterboxed. My username is YCKMD underscore. And you can just check out backdashrow.com for everything else. Don't all right. Stay well. At the- Y C K M D. That's how you remember your nickname. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how true. I do it. Because <laughs> like, what stands username again when I go to Letterbox? <laughs> and then Y C K M. Okay, that's it. <laughs>
All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we will see you next time on Notes from the Back Row and on Hoser Horror. Goodbye. Goodbye.